that gave us enough time to get everybody there to John chapter three. Hopefully, hopefully you're at John chapter three. And uh, if you're at John chapter three, if you could look at verse 30, again, verse 30. And it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to use a little bit more emphasis. He must increase, but I must decrease. And let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for a stay. Thank you for letting it be sunny, for just allowing our country to get a little bit more open again. But most importantly, I pray that, and I thank you, that you just let our church stand, even through this crisis. Thank you for just allowing us to still be able to meet, even though it's through virtual means. I just pray that you'd be a pastor, and you'd be with his message, that you'd give him wisdom and the words to say. And I pray that you just bless our church in general. And in your name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother Jacob. Appreciate you, my friend. Well, John chapter 3 is where we're, where we're at this morning. And uh, last Sunday, if you recall, we were also in John chapter 3. And uh, last Sunday, we looked at the two times Jesus used the word must. Uh, we're going through our series, Musts of the Master, looking at the different instances in which uh, Jesus used the word must, or that word must was used around the life of Christ or in reference to him. Uh, but last Sunday we were in John chapter 3 and we looked at John chapter 7 and John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 7 mar said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And that was the title of the message last Sunday is ye must be born again. And I hope that all of you watching are or have been born again. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go back and uh, listen to that message and, and uh, make the greatest decision of your life and be born again. And so uh, that was one instance, and then in verse 14, it talks about how Jesus must be lifted up. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, then now we come to John chapter 3 and verse number 30. We come to verse 30 where John the Baptist is saying, He must increase, but I must decrease. And so in verse number 7, we see the must of the sinner... Sinner needs to be born again. In verse number 14, we see the must of the Savior and how he must uh, be lifted up. And then we come to verse number 30 and we see the must of the saints. And the saints need to be to decrease so that he is able then to increase. Now, uh, John the Baptist uh, was the one who said and is quoted here in verse number 30 when he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, uh, John the Baptist, of course, and most of us know this, but uh, he was a different person than the human author of the book of John. So we're in the book of John, and now it's quoting John, but they're two different Johns. Okay, so John, the human author, he authored the Gospel of John. He also was a disciple of Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He also authored uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those epistles later in the New Testament, and then also uh, the book of Revelation. The Lord used him while he was on the Isle of Patmos, to write the book of Revelation. So John the Baptist and John, the human author of the Gospel of John, two different people. Um, John the Baptist was, uh, was quite a unique individual, to say the least. Uh, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was born six months prior to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Uh, John went on, John the Baptist then went on to be the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. John was an unusual man in his uh, dress and in his diet. 
Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 4 says this about John. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins. And his meat was locusts and wild honey. So uh, that was the John the Baptist diet. He wasn't on the keto diet. He was on the John the Baptist diet, which was wild honey and bugs. I mean, that's what he ate. That's what his diet consisted of. Although he was an unusual and a little unorthodox in some things, God used him in a tremendous way. John even had the amazing privilege and just this to, to, to allow this to be you would have been an amazing privilege. He had the privilege of baptizing Jesus Christ. I mean, that would have been a very special moment to say the least. Now, why did God use John the Baptist so much? Was it just because his name was John the Baptist? <laughs> Amen, he's a Baptist. He must be used of the Lord. No, uh, I don't know that that's the only reason there. I believe really the verse that uh, Jacob read here, verse number 30, is the key uh, uh, to why God used him in such a great way. And so today I want to look at this verse and learn three very important lessons from the life of this somewhat strange man, John the Baptist. So first of all, I want us to notice this, this morning, number one, John's mission. What was John's mission? What was his overarching life goal? Well, I think we can really find it here in verse number 30 when he said, He must increase, talking about Jesus, but I must decrease. This was his mission in life. This was his mantra. This was his life's motto. Uh, I want him to increase, but in order for that to happen, I must decrease. And so with John's mission, it's kind of twofold here. First of all, we see his mission was to magnify the Savior. And uh, the message titled today is uh, The Magnifying Man. And uh, what he did was he always wanted to magnify the Lord in his life. And of course, uh, for our Cornerstone Baptist Church family, I, I do want to remind us what our theme for the year is here in 2020, and that is to magnify the Lord. He wanted to make the Lord shine through. He wanted the Lord to be high and lifted up in his own personal life. Now, I want to remind everyone that when we started this series uh, or when we, when we started uh, talking about magnifying the Lord at the beginning of the year, we talked what it means to magnify something. Now, does it mean to make bigger? No, it doesn't. All those things, if you were tuning in at the very beginning of the, the message and you got to see that, that video, none of those things were bigger, just appeared bigger. Uh, the, the apple at the very beginning looked really big, and then as it zoomed out... It, the apple didn't get any bigger. It just appeared bigger. Uh, when it means to magnify the Savior, it, there's no way I can make God any bigger than He already is. God is already infinitely big, and He's infinitely great, and He's infinitely wonderful and powerful and sovereign. He's all those, in, all those attributes, and He's those attributes infinitely. So there's no way that I can make God any bigger than He is. There was no way that John could literally increase the Lord. He was increased, and he is who he is. But magnification means that you are making him appear bigger. When you get a magnifying glass and you look at something and it, it, it looks bigger, you're, you're making it appear bigger. 
And what he wanted his life to be is a magnifying glass. I want people, as they see me, to actually see the Lord and make him appear bigger in my life. John wanted people to notice Jesus and not him. Paul said it this way in in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18, where he says, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Paul said, look, I don't want to be the preeminent one. Jesus needs to be the preeminent one. And he needs to be the preeminent one, not in just a church, but in each of our individual Christian lives. And that was John's mission in his life is, you know what? It doesn't really matter what my job title is. I'm going to make sure that I am going to magnify the Savior in my life. I hope that that's part of your life's mission as well. And if not, I hope that you'll adopt that as your life's mission as a result of today. John's mission was, first of all, to magnify the Savior, but then it was also to minimize self. Verse number 30, once again, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. When, uh, for those of you who are a little techie and use computers on a regular basis, you'll recognize and, and relate to the word minimize when you have to minimize a window so that the other windows can be seen. And uh, I'm notorious. Uh, my family makes fun of me for having a million apps and windows open on my computer. And that's probably not an exaggeration. Um, and I wonder why sometimes my computer runs a little slow. It's because I have everything going at the same time. But in order to really function well, I need to minimize those things and even close out of some of those apps and programs. Well, if we're going to be effective for the Lord, we're going to have to minimize some things. And the thing that John decided that he was going to minimize was himself. He said, I want the Lord to be high and lifted up. I want to magnify the Savior, but I also need to minimize myself. Well, this is quite the opposite of what others in secular psychology tell us, isn't it? Uh, Here in our culture, we're told to boost our self-image and boost our self-esteem. You have too low of self-esteem. We need to maximize ourself and to be you. Well... I mean, I'm not trying to say we need to have horrible self-image. But I am trying to say we do need to minimize self like John the Baptist did. John focused on decreasing himself instead of increasing himself. Well, as it's been said many times in the last several years, we are still living in the selfie generation. And as I was studying for this, I, I looked up statistics on selfies and I came across this statistic Okay, it's a little old, it's a little dated, 2014. Uh, But I I, I just can't help but think that it's very similar to this, if not not more. According to a 2014 Google, Google report, on average, get this, 93 million selfies are taken every year. Well, if that was the statistic, that would be a little mind blowing, but that's not the statistic. On average, 93 million selfies are taken every day. Okay, and here's what makes it even more mind-blowing. That's just on Android devices. That's not even counting iPhones. It is a little creepy that 
Google knows all of that stuff. That's different message, different time. But 93 million selfies are taken every day because people want everyone to see themselves. I, wanna, I want everyone to like my picture. I want everyone to give me more praise. I need more praise. I need to be lifted up. John the Baptist, I don't think if he had a social media account, was posting any selfies. That, that would not be his thing. Now, I have posted selfies in my day and uh, may continue to still do so. Uh, but So I'm not preaching necessarily against that, but the emphasis in John the Baptist's life was minimizing himself. So those, that statistic tells me that we are obsessed with ourselves and uh, we just clamor for attention. We clamor for notice. John the Baptist was quite the opposite. He said, I don't want notice. I don't want people to follow me. Uh, Very different than what a lot of preachers are trying to do on social media. They're wanting a lot of followers. They're wanting a big, huge influence. And and I know they're doing it for the gospel's sake, but, but John the Baptist was saying, please stop following me, and I want you to start following Jesus. Very different from what we see in our culture today. You see, both are necessary to magnify the Savior and to minimize self. Both are necessary. You really can't have one without the other. Minimizing self does no good if you're not magnifying the the, the Lord. And magnifying the Lord is not going to really happen unless you're willing to minimize yourself. It's a lot like uh, driving a manual transmission. A manual transmission has to do with... uh, the clutch, and the fuel. And uh, most of you probably know how to do that. Um, and then so I thought this morning, in case you don't, in case there's somebody here, I thought I would illustrate it this morning. And so I'm going to go ahead and, and show you. Um, I, have, I have a very special thing in the auditorium this morning, and that is this lovely bike. I think at this point we should just end the service, and I'm going to go on a motorcycle ride right now. No, not really. Um, But in order for me to get this motorcycle to work, I have to push the clutch in. But then in order for it to go, I have to let the clutch out and give it fuel. If I don't let the clutch out, it ain't going anywhere. And that's a good illustration of us. We have to let ourselves go, decrease ourselves, decrease the clutch, and increase the fuel and the throttle so that we can move forward in life, and so that we can fulfill the mission that God has for each and every one of us. And so I hope that you, this helps you make, uh, make sense in your mind that our mission needs to be like John the Baptist, and that is to magnify the Savior, that's the throttle, and you got to release the clutch, and that's minimizing self. And so I hope that that will help you understand and to apply that truth to your own life when it comes to your mission. And I hope that you'll adopt the same mission in your own life. So we see John's mission, but then I want us to see, secondly, John's motives. Why would John adopt this as his life's mission? Uh, what, What would motivate him to magnify his Savior and to minimize himself? Uh, And what would motivate us to do the same? Well, first of all, he had a correct or a proper understanding of who Jesus was. Boy, that's essential. 
He understood who Jesus was, and so that's why he said in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease, because he understood who Jesus was. From the very beginning, John knew who Jesus was, uh, even perhaps even from the womb. Uh, if you recall, the, the story there is uh, Mary goes and announces the fact that uh, an angel had appeared to her. Well, her, her, her cousin there, uh, Elizabeth, had, the, uh, had John the Baptist in her womb, uh, about ready to pop. And as soon as that salutation came, John the Baptist leapt in the womb. Uh, even from the very beginning, I believe John the Baptist had an understanding of this was no ordinary baby that was about to be born in Bethlehem, that this was indeed the Son of God. John understood that Jesus was many, many things. Here's a list of things that John knew about Jesus from John chapter 1 and John chapter 15, or John chapter 3, I'm sorry. Verse number 15 of John chapter 1, if you have your Bible open, you can just, I'm just going to list these, but you can kind of see where I'm getting them from. In verse number 15, he knew that Jesus was preferred. In John 15, 1 verse 15, it says, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me. Well, and then in, he's also eternal. He knew he was eternal in verse number 15. Uh, he that cometh after me uh, is preferred before preferred before me, for he was before me. Okay, well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, John the Baptist was born first. He was born six months prior to Jesus being born. How could he be before him? Well, he was referencing the fact that Jesus was the eternal Son of God and that he always has been and always will be. So he knew that Jesus was eternal. He also knew that he was the giver of grace and truth in verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He also knew that John the ba or Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 29, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He knew that he was the baptizer of the Holy Ghost in verse 33. Um, he knew that he was the Son of God in verse 34. He knew that he was, in, he was the bridegroom in, in chapter 3, verse 34, or thir, uh, sorry, 29. Uh, chapter 3, verse 29, he knew he was the bridegroom. He knew that he was the one come from heaven in verse 31. And he knew he was the giver of everlasting life in verse 36. So he knew all of these things about Jesus, and that's what made him say, he must increase, but I must decrease. Because he knew those things about Jesus, he desired to magnify him and to be the magnifying man. Do you know those things about Jesus? Do you believe that he is all of these? If so, it should motivate you to make him known to those around you. And to not just constantly point people to yourself, but to point people to Jesus. So he had a, a proper understanding of who Jesus was, but he also had a proper understanding of who John was. See, he knew who he was. And boy, isn't that important. While John knew who Jesus was, he also had a healthy understanding of who he was in relation to Christ. John 1 and verse 15, here's a, this kind of sums it up here. Uh, John bare witness of him and cried, and saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Well, then in uh, verse 27, it says this, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. 
whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. He said, I'm not even worthy to go to his sandals and take the latchets and and loosen them so that his feet, I'm not even worthy to do that. Reminds me of what Paul said to the church at Rome in Romans 12 and verse 3, when he said, to not think of ourselves or himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. You and I, it's important for us to understand who we are in relation to God. I, I realize that uh, culture is telling us to think certain things about ourselves. But according to the Bible, who are we? Without taking the time to go through each of the references, I am going to base these on Scripture references. And you can take my word for it, uh, but they are coming from the Word of God. Who are we? Well, the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And we are the work of His hands. Uh, You are a special creation of Almighty God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible also says we are sinners by birth and by choice. That in sin we were conceived and and, uh, we are sinners by choice as well. But it also says that we are loved by God. So much so that He gave His only begotten Son for us. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So much, we are loved so much that He made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. What else does the Bible say about who we are? Well, in Christ, for those who decide to believe on Jesus Christ, here's who we are in Christ. We are redeemed. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we are justified. In Christ, we are accepted in the beloved. There's nothing you and I have to do in order to gain God's acceptance. He's accepted us in the fact that He's already accepted His Son. In Christ, we are uh, sealed unto the day of redemption. In Christ, we are made nigh by the blood of Christ. In Christ, we are raised to walk in newness of life. In Christ, we are a brand new creature. In Christ, we are made alive. And in Christ, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's who we are. You know, not this... Remember what Paul said to the church at Philippi? He said, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, those are the things you need to focus on. And when you're constantly thinking about how horrible you are, that's, that's not true. You start thinking about how wonderful you are. That's not true either. Because <laughs> anything good that you are is not a result of you. It's a result of Him and His working in your life. If you have talent, if you have strength, if you have good looks, that's all because of God. It's not because of you. What's the proper way to think of ourselves? Well, the correct answer really is to not think about ourselves at all. (laughs) William Temple says this, Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. It's a good thought. When you spend time just thinking about yourself and how how terrible your life is or how horrible you are, you're you're wasting your time. In fact, it's not just a waste of time, it's a negative use of your time. So the proper way to think of ourselves is to really not think about ourselves at all. But if you do think of yourself, think of yourself as a unique creation of God whom he loved, not because you were so lovable, by the way, 
but because he is so loving. Yes, we are loved, and you can relish in the fact that you are loved by God, but it's because he is so loving and because he is love, that's why he loves you. And then in Christ you have been made new, and anything good in your life is not because you were so good, but because he is so good. John understood who John was, and it's high time for God's people to have a biblical understanding of who they are. And I hope that you'll have a proper understanding of who you are as well. Uh, I'll, end, I'll end this thought with Isaiah chapter number 6. You see, in this passage, we see Isaiah understanding who he was, but it wasn't until he saw the Lord for who he was that he understood who he was. He said in verse uh, 1 of Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he goes on and describes that scene. He saw God for who he was, and in in verse 4 of that passage it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the Lord being described as holy, holy, holy. After that, you know what his response was? Well, I am so wonderful. No, that's not what his response was. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, after he saw the Lord for who he was, then he understood and had a proper understanding of who himself was. And so I want to encourage us this morning to make sure that we understand who Jesus is. And then that'll give us a proper understanding of who we are. So that's why his understanding of Jesus and his understanding of himself, that's why he had the mission that he must increase, but I must decrease. But I want us to see thirdly this morning, John's methods. How exactly did John accomplish his mission to magnify the Savior and minimize himself? What what methods did he use and utilize to make this happen? And how can we also fulfill the same mission in our own Christian lives? Well, the characteristic, the quality that we see lived out in the life of John the Baptist is without question the word humility. Absolutely. Now, humility is the key to being used by the Lord to accomplish His will. Humility is something that doesn't really come natural for any of us. All of us are prone to pride, All of us struggle with that. John the Baptist, though, seemed to get a handle on it, and he was a tremendous example of humility. Uh, Humility is found several times in the Word of God, and we won't go through all the references that I could this morning. But uh, I just want to point out three of them very quickly this morning. Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? Okay, the Lord's requirements, we better perk our ears up and say, Lord, I want to fulfill these requirements. I want to make sure that I'm meeting these requirements. What are these requirements? To do justly, to do what's right, to love mercy, and then to walk humbly with thy God. To walk humbly with thy God. Those are what the Lord requires of us. To love justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Proverbs 22 and verse number 4, Solomon, the author of this passage, said, By humility and the fear of the Lord 
Our riches, honor, and life. Uh, you know, the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, that's what we enjoy here in America. Well, the way to really get those things is humility and fear of the Lord. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. First Peter chapter 5, in that passage, Peter tells us to be clothed with humility, to put humility on. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Now, once again, God's not asking us to do something He wasn't first willing to do Himself. Because you see, in coming to this earth, Jesus greatly humbled Himself more than any one of us could ever humble ourselves. Paul said it this way in his uh, book to the uh, church at Philippi. He said, And Jesus, being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So John the Baptist was, without question, a very humble man. Uh, well, how was he humble? Uh, how do we see that? Well, we see it, first of all, his humility in his spirit. Humility in his spirit. There's no question that as John was preaching, and this was one bold preacher, and uh, I love John the Baptist. Of course, he has a good... Uh, my last name is Johnson, and uh, I'm a Baptist, so there's a lot of relationship there. I'm sure I'm related somehow. Um, there's no question that John was bold in his preaching, but he was also tremendously humble in his spirit. And that's key. I suppose most of you have heard a pastor pray this. Maybe you've heard me pray it. Maybe you've heard others pray this for me. And I appreciate this prayer for me. Um, that God would hide the pastor behind the cross. Uh, maybe I would pray, Lord, please hide me behind the cross. I, I want... I want people to see you, not me. Well, this is a good prayer as it gives the idea the pastor's not the one wanting to be seen or needing to be seen, but rather that Jesus is the one being seen. But I want to submit to you this morning that I believe this is not only a good prayer to pray for the pastor and for the preacher, but also for every believer. All of us should desire to have the mindset that I don't want people to see me necessarily or to notice me. I want people to see the Lord in me. And so I would encourage you to adopt that prayer for you. Please keep praying it for me. I want that prayer and I, I, wanna, I want that prayer to be answered. And I don't want people to see Eric. I want people to see Christ in me. But I hope that you'll pray that for yourself as well. And I'll pray that for you. You see, John had that as a prayer. He wanted the Lord to increase, and he wanted to be in the background. John was a polar opposite from our friend Diotrephes. Say, who in the world is Diotrephes? And I don't recall him ever being my friend. <laughs> well, John, the human author of the Gospel of John, also wrote, as I mentioned, the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those epistles at the end of the New Testament. Well, in 3 John, verse 9, he says this. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So there was an, there was an individual in the church there that John was writing to named Diotrephes. 
And Diotrephes was a man who liked to have the attention all on him. He wanted the spotlight. He wanted the microphone. He wanted everybody to see him. And it was all about his ideas. And it was all about his opinions and his suggestions. He wanted everybody to see him and to know that it was Diotrephes. Hey, whose idea was it to paint that color? Diotrephes. Oh, excuse It was mine. Whose idea was it to do? Oh, it was mine. He wanted to have the preeminence. But look it, there's only room for one on the throne. And it's not Diotrephes, and it's not me, and it's not you, and it's Jesus. We need to remember that. John understood that Jesus was the one who needed to be on that throne, and so he was humble in his spirit. I read this week about the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. And uh, Brother Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large church in Australia. And uh, the moderator, right before Brother Taylor got up, uh, introduced the missionary in, in tremendously eloquent and glowing terms. He told the large congregation that all that Brother Taylor had accomplished in China and then presented him as our illustrious guest. Taylor got to the pulpit there and stood quietly for a moment and then opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am just the little servant of an illustrious master. See, he was humble in his spirit. He didn't say, oh, oh thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into the message. No, he said, no, no, I'm not that guy, but I serve that type of a God. It's important to, for ministers to maintain a humble spirit. No question, no doubt about it. Please pray for me. Uh, it, is a, it is a constant battle that I face is my pride. It is. I wish it wasn't, but it is, a, it is a struggle in my life. So please pray for me to maintain a humble spirit. But remember, all of us are ministers to some degree or another. And so this just isn't just for me. It's for all of us as believers. We all need to be humble in our spirit. But he wasn't just humble in his spirit. We see also that John showed humility in his speech. A lot of times we see John responding. He didn't respond out of hatred or trying to defend himself. No, he responded with tremendous humility. John chapter 1 and verse number 6. He said there was, uh, the, John, the human author of the, uh, the gospel here, said there was a man sent from God whose name was John, reference to John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to, to bear witness of that light. You see, he really understood who he was. If you think about it in our, in our solar system, at least uh, from planet Earth's perspective, we get light uh, from the sun. Well, at night, we get some light too. It's from the moon. Or is it? It's not from the moon itself. No, it's from the sun that's reflect, that the moon is reflecting to earth. And you know, that's what John the Baptist was. He was the moon. He understood that he didn't have any light to shine. He just could simply reflect the light from the true light to us. You know what? All of us are moons. How are we doing? Are we full moons? Or are we in a solar eclipse at the moment? or lunar eclipse, I'm not sure which, where you can't see the moon. 
Um, what are we? And he was hum- humble in his speech, and he knew that uh, he knew his place. John chapter one and verse twenty nine. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, "Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world." You see, John was constantly using his speech to point people to Jesus Christ with his words, whether it was in his preaching or in his response to questions. Oh, he could have talked about himself so many times, but instead he chose to focus on pointing others to Jesus. Friend, can I ask you, how do you use your speech? Is it directed toward yourself or is it directed toward him? You and I have the opportunity and the ability to point people to Christ through our speech. How are we using that? Are we taking advantage of that opportunity? John sure did. Let me talk about something else. When it comes to this pandemic that we're all going through, you get 100 people in a room, which you can't at the moment. Well, I guess technically you could hear more. But you get 100 people in a room and you ask, what's your opinion on this whole uh, pandemic? And you'll get probably no less than 100 uh, different opinions on what this is all about and what's been going on. Uh, Some people have multiple opinions on it, and they don't mind telling you. Um, I realize that there's a lot of different thoughts about why this whole thing is happening, and and, uh, just to be kind and just to let you know, your opinion is probably right. Uh, But is that really the most important thing to be talking about right now? John spent his breath not trying to prove that he was right in a certain controversial issue. No, he was pointing others to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, can I encourage you to do the same thing? It takes humility to do this, yes. Look, we all want to prove to the world that we're right, but really, what eternal difference is that going to make if you're right about what's been going on? What eternal difference is that going to make? Now, I can tell you, though, when you decide to focus on pointing others to Jesus with your speech, you can indeed make an eternal difference in someone's life. John chapter 1 and verse number 35, if you can look at that verse with me for just a moment, says, And again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So here, John wasn't trying to point people to himself and to prove his theory right. No, he was pointing people to Jesus. And here's what happened. Verse 37, And the two two disciples heard him speak. And they follow Jesus. You see, him pointing people to Jesus with his speech made an eternal difference in the lives of those two disciples. Praise the Lord. And God could use you and your speech to make an eternal difference in the lives of your coworkers, in the lives of your neighbors, in the lives of your family and friends as they go through this time. Instead of just talking about all the conspiracy theories that you think or know are true, I'm telling you, point them to Christ. Use your speech to do that. He was humble in his spirit. He was humble in his speech. And he was also humble in his steadfastness. Mark chapter number 6 is where we find really the last part of the life of John. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn over there. Mark chapter number 6 and uh, verse number 17 
Uh, this Mark chooses to record this part of the part of his life. Verse 17 says this, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. And here it is, verse 18, For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. See, John was humble in his steadfastness in doing the will of the Lord and he stayed faithful to the word of God and it didn't really matter what others thought of him or did to him. He was going to tell the truth and he was going to fulfill the will of God for his life and it didn't matter who it was that he was talking to. It didn't matter what the repercussions were. He was going to be steadfast. He was going to be faithful. He was going to be unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, he was ultimately imprisoned for this act of faithfulness by being the guy who said, I'm not afraid of you. I'm going to tell you the truth that what you're doing is unlawful. I don't care who you are, what position you have, how much power you have. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be steadfast. And so he was imprisoned. And then ultimately, if you keep reading in this passage, which we won't take the time to do, but you will learn that he was ultimately beheaded as a result of this act of faithfulness. It takes humility to be faithful when it's not easy, when it's not convenient, when it's not popular. It takes some humility to say, Lord, I'm going to just trust you. I, I, I don't see any way out of this. And you know, for John, he didn't make it out of it. Or did he? Being in the presence of the Lord is definitely making it, I would say. And uh, being recorded as someone who stayed faithful in the midst of difficultness. Uh, we're going to face challenges and trials in our lives. We're going to face hardships. Are you going to remain steadfast? It takes humility to do so. And that's how John the Baptist was able to get to the point where he was able to say, he must increase, but I must decrease. I'm going to let out the clutch and I'm going to pull the throttle. And go forward in my life and let God use me however he deems best. But it requires both of those. And he was able to do that because of his humility and his spirit and his speech and his steadfastness. Let me close this morning with a verse from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Matthew eleven eleven, Easy to remember. It was the words of Christ. If you have a red letter Bible, um, these words are going to be in red. These are the words of Christ. And Jesus said this about John the Baptist. He said, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Wow. What a compliment from the Son of God to say, to have him say, There hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. You see, well, he didn't make it, he didn't survive that event. There in prison. Uh, not, not physically he didn't. But you know, he goes on and has a tremendous epitaph. His tombstone on the word of God says, There hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And those were the words of Christ. How did he get to that point? I believe the reason that Jesus said that is because John was a magnifying man. Someone who decided that he was going to magnify the Savior and minimize himself. 
someone who was going to do that because he understood who Jesus was and understood who he himself was. And he did it in the humility of his spirit, in his speech, in his steadfastness. What should we do with this message today? I believe that God is looking for those here at Cornerstone Baptist Church who would humble themselves so that the Lord would be lifted up and that others would be drawn to him. So friends, stop trying to be in the spotlight. Let's put him in the spotlight where he belongs and where he deserves. Let's pray together this morning.